You are listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 5, Ain, April 2005 Jonna first came to me when I was ten. I don't mean she knocked on my door and asked me to come out to play. I mean she slipped into my mind. My first awake dream. I was awake, but it almost seemed dreamlike. I'd heard adults use the term invisible friend and chuckle when talking about their children. My own mom and dad used it when I tried to ask them about what had happened to me. She'd come to me when I was studying in my room. At first I was a bit disoriented, maybe dizzy, and then it was as if I had an echo in my head. I didn't know how else to explain it. I looked through my eyes at the normal mess in my room, and it was familiar, yet unfamiliar. I was off balance. It was like I had never seen the room before, but I knew it was mine. That was until I looked at the hand mirror my aunt had given me the Christmas before. It had been framed by wood that had been painted copper and made to look very old. I. She seemed to recognize it. Just before she left, I heard her whisper a word in my ear, Jana. I thought it was her name. At least, that's what I called her. As I remembered it, I wondered why I wasn't afraid. I would be today if it happened to me for the first time. I'd be sure I had a brain tumor or was going crazy. But back then I felt calm and at peace when she left. I was okay with it until I started asking around to find out if anyone else had ever felt this way. Mom put her hand on my head to feel for a fever, and Dad and Donnie laughed. I asked my best friend at school, but never mentioned it again when she made up a hurtful rhyme and teased me in front of the boys. Jonna came about once a year after that. She never spoke to me except to whisper her name. A few pictures came through, but usually it was just feelings. I was wary of the visits at first and then came to look forward to them. She stayed for just a few breaths and then left me with a longing to know her. She seemed to glean thoughts from me and even prompted questions. I think she helped me find my career. I developed my hunger for history early. My aunt was the keeper of the family papers, and she'd shown me a letter that she said was hundreds of years old. After reading it, I decided to trace my family line. I also knew I wanted to hold ancient things in my hands and study archaeology. The second time she stayed for more than a second was the first day in my class on ancient Celts in Great Britain. It was my favorite class at university. Mark was there, sitting next to me, and I'd felt an excitement on that day that I hadn't felt about any other period of history. The moment Jana was inside me, the era seemed as if I'd lived through it. The pictures in my text were familiar. I knew I would specialize in that period. From the beginning, she seemed to be about the same age as me, a child at first, but now I saw her as an adult. It was as if I were reading a novel, putting faces on the characters. I'd done that for Jana. In my mind, she looked like me. I could almost see her face as I searched for her in my mind. Were our faces similar? Did she share my straight-as-a-stick coal-black hair, my hazel-green eyes that I always wished were blue, my round face and big mouth? 
Was she tall or short like me? I had never seen her, only sensed her, but she was a part of me. When I married Brad, she stopped coming. Jonna was one of the many things I thought I'd lost through my marriage. Then she came back last year while I was working with Mark on the chieftain's tomb. A weight had lifted from my heart. Now Mark and I were back in Scotland. He'd gathered a crew of students and had come to help me get my site started. We were settled into a country inn not far from the farm where the hill was and were ready to start work tomorrow. I thought all was fine until Mark came into my room five minutes ago. He walked straight to my only chair and sat down. I moved some clothes on my bed so I could sit. He began complaining about the lack of funding for our project. I knew I was walking a fine line with my relationship with him. I desperately wanted to be friends, but he seemed to be pulling away. We both tried very hard to be civil to one another, but I realized now how tired I was of defending my desire to dig on the hilltop. It was a hard decision to make. I understood that. However, he had promised to give it a try. Suddenly, tonight, with Mark in my room, her smoky peat scent was in my nose. Very faint this time, but there... My eyes closed involuntarily. I hunched my shoulders and shivered, and the skin on my neck tingled. Shaking, I covered my face with my hands as I whispered, Not now, Jonna. I want to be alone when you come. What's the matter? Mark asked. Headache? Yes, I almost added you. Taking my hands from my face, I reached behind me to arrange the very hard, small pillows on my bed into something comfortable to lean against. I didn't quite accomplish the cushioning I wanted for my back. This wasn't going to be a comfortable night. A shrill ring made my heart stop, and I leapt up, almost falling off the bed as I grabbed the phone. Startled, I answered, Ain McCray? Yes, he's here. Just a second. I sighed as I stood and carried the phone to Mark, trying not to trip over the cord. The burning peat scent was gone. Jonna delayed her visit. Mark Hunt? No, my mobile doesn't work here. Scotland, the bloody highlands. What do you need? <gasps> really? He looked at me with a big smile on his face. I became alert. We could be there in two days. Let me talk to Ain. I'll call you later. Bye. He handed the phone to me, and I set it back on the water-stained nightstand. That was Doug. He had some incredible news, Mark said. I need to have something more concrete to keep me here now. He said we could be in Wales working on the Roman digs. They need all the help they can get. Once I tell the team we have a job, they'll want to leave too. It's only April. We could have a long summer digging and then the winter to do the cataloging. I didn't want to have this conversation again. I turned my head to avoid his eyes. It took me five months to put this project together. Two months went to begging the farmer to agree to let us on his land, and then three more months to acquire a little funding, the license, and to get Mark to agree. All this was about to be compromised. I said, I can't leave now. I would rather be in the field than in the classroom. You know that. I've precious little time digging, and I have to go back soon. He had been on sabbatical for almost a year. This fall he would return to university. His face began to brighten as he explained. The extra money I make in Wales will help me retire early. I might even get a post on the project and be able to leave university altogether. His dream was to do research. 
and with this offer he could see that in his immediate future. So you're asking me to stop this project? Yes, Mark said. It's just a hill, nothing else. When we finished the tomb last summer, we decided not to come back to the highlands, remember? He was starting to sound desperate. All you have to support your argument is the single bronze blade the farmer found years ago. You know that anyone walking through here at any time might have dropped it. We don't have any other artifacts, this site isn't on a GIS map, and the money isn't enough to let us stay more than two weeks. We can barely set up a good camp in two weeks. Drop this and come with me to Wales. We can still work there together. My jaw tightened as I tried to recall why Mark had been so attractive to me in the first place. At 45 years old, his 5 foot 10 inch frame was still thin. His collar length red hair and full beard was now streaked with silver. His eyes were clear and dark blue, even through his glasses. He smelled like the ground we dug in. I felt comforted when near him, even though the relationship was strained right now. Damn it, he reminded me of someone. Who was it? Yes, I remember saying that I didn't want to come back here, and you have to remember what was happening in my life at that moment. I wasn't thinking straight. Brad was behaving like an ass, and I said I wouldn't come back here because I didn't want to be near him. I shook my head so hard my hair stung my face. I walked to the small table by the window, picked up a photo of my hill, and ran my fingers across its glossy surface. I've a strong feeling we're supposed to be here. Turning to look at him and waving the picture, I continued. There is something here. How could I tell him my heart pulled me? I had to be here. It was time. How could I tell him this when I didn't really understand it? I walked this whole countryside last November. Something or someone called to me. I had to stay. I laid the picture on the table. We can go to Wales next week if this doesn't work, Mark. We don't have to sleep out there. We can be comfortable here with real beds, I said, sweeping my arm around the small but adequate room. We can get a good start and at least get through one layer of soil in a small quadrant in a few days. Let me choose where we start digging, and then, if we don't find anything, you can go with my blessings. But I can't quit. Not now. A headache formed just above my neck. I rubbed my shoulders. Ain, I don't know. So far, we've only spent a little money on these rooms and transportation. The team is here as a favor, and we could back out of this without much loss. I really don't think we should stay. Mark leaned over, reached into his pocket, and removed his mobile phone. He flipped it open as if some miracle had occurred in the last hour, and now it worked. My heart sank, and my hands fell into my lap. I knew I would have to tell him. There was no other way to keep him here. I'd kept my secret for so long, I didn't know if I could find the words. I'd never told anyone about her visits after the first one. Not Brad. Not even Mark. That was one of my many mistakes in my relationship with Mark. I needed to start being more honest with him, even if he didn't believe me. I tried to tell myself that I didn't care if he believed me, but I did. I needed his help now and his friendship. My stomach started churning, but I knew I couldn't escape this time. I looked straight at him with exasperation, took a deep breath, and said, Mark, do you remember the bowl? Bowl? You mean the bronze we found in the tomb last year? Yes, I do. It was a lucky save. 
he said as he looked through his mobile list, trying different numbers, cursing when nothing connected. I turned away, head lowered, with little breath left, and said, No, it wasn't luck. It was Jana. What? I heard impatience building in his voice. What or who is Jana? There wasn't anyone named Jana on that job, he countered, still fiddling with his phone. I crossed my arms and sat on the edge of the bed, feeling very vulnerable. All right, all right, I'll tell you about her. I stopped, took a deep breath, and continued. I don't know who she is, but her name is Jana. I sense her thoughts. I watched Mark. He stopped dialing and stared at me, wide-eyed. Looking down at the floor, I tucked my unruly hair behind my ears, folded my hands in my lap, and began. This isn't going to be easy. You're going to have a hard time believing me. I would. Just listen, please. I was ten years old, doing homework, when I had my first awake dream. That's what I call them. I wasn't asleep. I pinched myself and I left a bruise. I was awake. I held my hand up and looked at it. I could see the pencil in my hand. I could hear the wind outside. But it was as if I were looking out of someone else's eyes and my eyes at the same time. I felt as if someone else were listening and watching, not, not outside my head, but inside my head. I recalled the odor that came before her visit, burning peat. Everything in my room looked different, I continued. I distinctly remember looking at my mirror and thinking it was the same, yet not the same. She whispered her name in my ear, and then she was gone. I had several visits like that, short, with little or no information exchanged, until I went to university and took my first pre-Roman Celt class, George's class. It was as if I lived then. Deja vu, if you like. That class seemed to allow Johnny to come through easier. We didn't have real conversations, but as close as you could come, like channeling or ESP. I've had a few vivid scenes pop into my head, like the placement of the bronze bowl we found. She showed me where to look. I stopped, glancing at Mark to see his reaction. He was leaning back in the chair, arms crossed, smiling, and looking as if he were waiting for a punchline. Don't you dare laugh. I'm serious. My room's radiator rattled into existence. It was already too warm in the small room for me. Small rivulets of sweat started creeping down my sides and under my breasts. I reached over, turned the radiator valve to off, and jumped when Mark's chair legs hit the floor with a sharp bang. His arms were still crossed, but his face now wore a look of disbelief. Staring at me, he said, Ain McCrae. He shook his head and continued, You can't expect me to believe that we found that ball through a ghost. We're trained investigators. We use science and scientific tools to find artifacts. Are you trying to tell me that a ghost pointed to the ball? Am I to believe that a ghost does all your research for you? He looked at me, waiting for me to refute all I had just said. Yes, I mean, I mean, no. I paused and regained my composure. So far, it's only been the information about the ball that I've been able to prove. Palms up and beseeching, I said. She's real to me, Mark. Just because you can't see or hear her doesn't mean she isn't real. Jonna isn't a ghost. Well, maybe she is, but I think she was alive then. I got up, 
crossed the small room and anxiously rifled through a box in the corner. Where is it? Here it is, I said, finding my notebook. I knew we were leaving something behind. The rest of you were ready to say the grave was empty and that we'd found everything. And then on that last morning, I moved the rock and found the bowl. I knew just where to look. Here, look at my notes. I wrote down the feelings I had from Jana the night before. I saw the bowl under the stone, and when I went back to the tomb, I went right to the rock. I held my notebook out, turned to the page I'd been looking for. Mark, with wrinkles of doubt on his face, wouldn't take it. This is a drawing I made. The design is on the bowl I found. I shook the notebook. Jonna came to me and told me about it and showed me where to look. I'm not crazy, Mark. She is real to me. He looked at me with the hooded eyes he wore when he disagreed with, or worse, disbelieved someone. I slammed the notebook to the bed. I was determined to get Mark to understand. I took a deep breath and stood tall, all five feet two inches of me, ready to defend my story, ready to fight for what I knew was the truth. I knew it in the deepest reaches of my soul. I stood in front of his chair, fists and jaw clenched, looking down into his skeptical eyes and declared in a controlled voice, I believe Jana and I have a shared history. I think she is an ancient ancestor of mine. I believe my family, the McCrae's on Skye, can be linked back to her somehow, and I want to try to prove it. That's one of the reasons I became an archaeologist. I could feel my defensive instincts catch hold now, and I continued arguing. Now, I'm where I should be. It all feels right, as though I'm, I'm at home. All the digs before were rehearsals. I cannot leave. I walked to the window and leaned my forehead against the cool pane of glass. I looked out into the dark night and tried to see the hill I'd captured in the picture. I think she wants me here, Mark, I reflected. She wants me to find something. Okay, Mark's voice was laced with mockery as he stood up stretching, filling the space between the chair and the bed. So you're telling me you have regular conversations with dead people, and now, I suppose, we're going to start digging tomorrow with spirits in tow. Well, I need some spirits now. I cringed at his tone and pulled back from the window pane. I turned just in time to see him reach into my suitcase for my bottle of Lagavulin he knew I kept there. Hey, stop, I said, just as he was touching the bottle. If you want a drink, you go get your own. I never let anyone else drink my scotch. I always had a bottle of Lagavulin with me, and no one dared touch it without an invitation. I first offered it to him after we found the bowl, but since we'd arrived here, he'd been helping himself without my objection until now. I was angry. I wanted him out of my room. He brought back feelings I thought I'd buried with Brad. If you think I'm strange, then go find a normal person to be with. I don't want you here right now. I snapped. When he paused, I continued. I'm not kidding. I'm going to bed, and you need to leave. Now. I told him about a part of me that was sacred, and he'd made light of it. I felt sick to my stomach. Wow. All right. I'll go, Ain. He paused. I'll have to think about this. I don't know what to make of your story. I've known you too long to know you wouldn't make something up like this, but it's so hard to believe he said, shaking his head. 
I need to talk to the team before we make a decision. Mark pulled open the heavy door. He turned to look at me, confusion in his eyes. We'll be downstairs if you want to come and join us. He walked out of my room into the hall and closed the door. He left me staring into my own reflection in the full-length mirror hung on the back of the door. Bloody hell! That's the reason I've never told anyone! I stared at the closed door and continued. Why did I let him get me like that? I took a deep breath and sighed with a release of emotion. I don't care what he thinks. I knew it would turn out this way if I told anyone about Jonna. I searched the mirror and said, Jonna, I need you now. We are so close. I'll work this site alone if I have to. I'm counting on you, so don't let me down. I turned, lifted one of the heavy tumblers on the bureau, and poured myself a drink. Neat, no ice. The first sip brought me its lovely medicinal flavor, and I calmed down. I let my thoughts drift back to Skye, to when I was thirteen. Had it really been twenty-nine years since Aunt Peggy had shown me the letter? It was almost three hundred years old, and an ancestor of mine, a member of the McRae family, wrote it. The yellow parchment had been addressed to a British colonel at Fort William, and my aunt has it preserved amongst other family heirlooms. It described how the son of Douglas McRae, 19-year-old Hamilton McRae, could be identified. He was at Glencoe in February of 1692 with the MacDonalds. They assumed he was dead after the massacre, and his family wanted his body back to be buried on Skye. His body is short, not the tall, large bodies that are the MacDonalds. He also has raven hair and beard, not red. His eyes are green, not blue. It is the second toe on each foot, after the great toe that is greatly longer. It is a sign of the family for many years. I beg the return of his body to his mother for burial. Signed today, the 15th of March, in the year of our Lord, 1692, by Douglas McRae, father of Hamilton McRae. We have traits in common, you and I, old Hamilton. Our toes and hair and eye color. I looked around to verify no one was listening. I didn't want to be heard talking to another dead person. Finished, I set the tumbler on the nightstand, put on my comfortable flannel nightgown and woolen socks. I knew she had something to show me. We'd find it soon, together, Jonna and me. I climbed under my down comforter and snuggled into the warm nest of my bed, yawned, and wondered if she would try to come back tonight. I tossed and turned for an hour and examined the conversation with Mark again and again. Finally, I slept, without dreaming, until the knock on my door the next morning. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, We a Hundred Pipers, from his album Legend. His music can be found at www.etherean.com, who, along with Steve, have allowed me to use his music in my podcasts. Learn more about me at www.radaski.com.
a hundred pipers and all and all. We a hundred pipers and all and all. We love and give them a blow and blow. We a hundred pipers and all and all. Sound dumbfounded the English they saw. 